IFOTES Podcast. Good morning. Thank you for the kind introduction and thank you for the invitation to be a speaker on this wonderful conference. I'm very honored to be here. My speech is on loneliness and the need to belong, and I will focus on societal aspects of loneliness. I start with a quote from a man, Mrs. M I call him Mr. S., uh, who I will introduce to you later in my speech. He's 83 years old, and he tells me, I feel very lonely, terribly lonely. Sometimes when I go to sleep, I hope not to wake up anymore. Persons who lack meaningful relationships with others often suffer severely. For this reason, caregivers, professionals, and volunteers who come across people who feel lonely are regularly confronted with powerlessness, distress, and sadness. And unfortunately, loneliness cannot always be solved. This has to do with the fact that loneliness is a complex problem with many different backgrounds and manifestations, as we have seen and heard during this conference. At the same time, loneliness is a problem that requi requires a lot of attention because long-term loneliness has serious consequences for the people who suffer from it. For this reason, in recent years in Western countries, loneliness has been high on the social and political agenda. Especially the negative health consequences of loneliness have become increasingly clear. Research shows that long-term loneliness is just as harmful as smoking and being obese. There is also a close link with mental health problems like depression and suicide, as Victor Stout made clear yesterday in his impressive speech. For this reason, loneliness is no longer seen as a private problem of the people it concerns, but as a problem that needs attention from policymakers, governments, welfare institutions, and eventually from us all. In this lecture, I will explain that loneliness has to do with the basic need of people to belong, to be connected to others. Then I show that loneliness is not only related to personal circumstances or characteristics, but that it also has to do with the way in which Western countries have developed in recent decades. After that, I will show why loneliness is such a complex problem and what that complexity means for tackling it. And finally, I will argue that loneliness places a responsibility to honor us all, as a family member, as a friend, a neighbor, a caregiver, or as a volunteer. Although many people sometimes experience loneliness, there is no clear answer to the question of what loneliness is. When we ask people what they mean by loneliness, we get very different answers. Feeling alone, the lack of a dear one, uh, experience a lack of broader connections with other people, not participating socially, uh, belonging to a different culture, or being excluded from a community. Although the answers vary widely, they have one thing in common. They all refer to a lack of connectedness, 
the most important condition for feeling human. After all, people are social beings who need meaningful social connections with other, others in order to function and feel happy. These social connections with others uh, are so important because they refer to the experience of belonging and relatedness between people, an experience that seems to be fundamental to human existence. The formation and maintenance of positive close relationships can be characterized as one of the primary motivations for human beings. According to Abraham Maslow, the need to belong is one of the five human needs in the order of needs, along with physiological needs, safety needs, self-esteem needs, and self-actualization. These needs must be satisfied in order. After physiological and safety needs are met, an individual can then work on meeting the need to belong and be loved. If the first two needs are not met, then a person cannot completely love someone else. The American psychologists Roy Beimeister and Mark Lear re refer to this fundamental need to belong with their so-called belonging hypothesis. And that states that people have a basic psychological needs to feel closely connected to others and that caring, affectionate bonds from close relationships are a major part of human behavior. They state that belongingness is the human emotional need to be an accepted member of a group. Whether it is family, friends, or co-workers, or a sports team, humans have the inherent desire to belong and to be an important part of something greater than themselves. Baumeister states that social relationships with relatives, friends, and acquaintances are important resources for the personal functioning of people and that they offer a unique chance to meet the belongingness needs. In the literature, we see various explanations for the importance of close social relationships. The theory of social needs of the American sociologist Robert Weiss states that close relationships meet six fundamental conditions of human existence. These, sheets, these needs are listed on this sheet. The first one is attachment, the need for attachment, the sense of security, closeness, and comfort other people can offer. The second one is social integration, a sense of belonging to a network of like-minded individuals. The third one is reassurance of worth, self-confidence, and self-esteem through others' reactions. The fourth one is nurturance, opportunities to be nurtured and cared for, and a sense of responsibility for the welfare of others. The fifth one is the sense of reliable alliance, the feeling of kinship and being able to rely on others for mutual aid and support. And finally, the ability to receive guidance, advice, and information to cope with stressful events, also called coping assistance. There is much evidence that persons who are embedded in relationships that meet, meet this, these six social needs 
experience a higher level of well-being and happiness than people who are not. If these six social needs are unmet, as is the case with lonely people, there is a perceived deficit, deficit in belongingness, which is related with reduced levels of well-being and quality of life. And it is generally assumed that positive personal attachments contribute substantially to the capacity of making sense in one's life. Close relationships are therefore not only a practical resource for help or support, but also a very important source of meaning in life and quality in life. Social embedding in a network with significant others who appreciate and acknowledge us as the person we are forms the foundation of our self-worth and our self-esteem. A lack of meaningful relations affects the fundamental conditions of human existence. No wonder people who are lonely for a long time feel unhappy and sometimes even desperate. Before I go further into loneliness, I would introduce you to Mr. S, a man aged 83 who I have known since 2007. I visit him once a year, one afternoon every year in summer. Mr. S lives in a small upstairs apartment in the center of Rotterdam in the Netherlands. He looks at the world from his living room on the second floor, and that is his domain. Mr. S has no personal context. Even as a child, he struggled to connect with others, and he gladly withdrew into his own fantasy world. After high school, he worked for various, various Dutch uh, newspapers, but he found it hard to adapt. Especially the co collaboration with colleagues cost him a lot of energy. At the age of 52, he was fired by his last employer. Since then, he spends the days on his own. After the death of his parents, he lost the contact with his two brothers. He does not know if they are still alive. And he never had a marriage or a similar uh, relationship. He told me he has been in love a few times in his life but he did not feel sufficiently equipped to do anything about it. Mr. S has no telephone, so he cannot call the telephone helplines. If I want to visit him, I send him a letter to announce my arrival. We then go to a terrace near his home, because his home is not suitable for receiving people. There's only one chair in his house, no carpet on the floor, his living room is full of books piled up to the ceiling, and the stove has not been burning for years. Yet, this is the place where Mr. S feels at home. I'd like to live here for years, he says. It's his familiar environment that he has built around him like a cocoon, and in which he feels safe and secure. Meaningful relationships with others are important, but in modern Western society it's quite possible to sustain yourself without contact with others, like Mr. S. 
This is the consequence of social developments that have taken place in recent decades and that have, led, have had a major influence on the social structure in society. People are more than before free in their views, decisions, actions and preferences and can in principle choose for themselves how they want to organize their lives and with whom they maintain social relationships. These developments have had major consequences for the social connections in contemporary societies. Integration in a trusted community with supportive personal relationships have become less self-evident and people are less able to fall back on given bonds such as family or neighborhood relationships. These relationships on, uh, are less stable and permanent than in previous generations. For example, families have become smaller and adult children often live further away from their parents than before. There are more broken families or newly assembled families in which mutual relationships cannot be taken for granted. Part of the former role of and function of family relationships has been taken over by self-chosen relationships. We choose friends with whom we feel connected, with whom we share values and interests, and who understand our lifestyle. These self-chosen relationships are based on mutual affection and opportunities for reciprocity. However, such a network with self-selected relationships does not arise automatically. We have to make an effort. We must invest in relationships with people with whom we feel familiar and secure, with whom we can share experiences and with whom we experience a certain degree of involvement. Self-chosen relationships that contribute to our sense of self-confidence and self-esteem require personal competences and social skills, communication skills, and the ability to self-management. These competencies are also required to make our own choices in friendships and other relationships. This presupposes a strong identity that can serve as a starting point for our actions, an internal reference point that helps us determine a position in relation to expectations and obligations of the social environment in which we find ourselves. It also requires trust in other people, something that is not obvious to everyone. People who have experienced major life events and disappointments in their life are often cautious and reluctant to make new contacts. The lack of social competences and identity capital can cause people to become lonely. When people lack these skills and abilities or have lost them, a feeling of powerlessness arises. The feeling that they no longer have a choice and are surrendered to the circumstances. They feel lonely and often end up in a negative spiral. 
the lack of social competencies is an important cause of mistress S. loneliness. His isolation is related to the fact that in his life he has seen no opportunities to establish contacts with others in which he could express himself. He has felt like an outsider all his life. That started already in his youth. He grew up in a loving family, but felt that he didn't really belong. He had a feeling that his older brothers did not need him. They had each other, and that was enough for him, for them, he says. I was isolated from an early age, he says, nervous and deranged. I felt terribly left to myself. His mother encouraged him to play with other children, and he felt that it would be good for him. You have to get involved with the community, he says. But I really didn't feel comfortable when I did. And it has always remained that way. He wanted to develop himself, but felt permanent social pressure. You have to meet all kinds of expectations, and you are constantly being manipulated, he says. And for him, it's very difficult to resist that. The only way he could deal with this tension was separating himself from normal life and, as it were, leading a second life next to it. If life in society became too harsh for me, too bad or too unbearable, I could always retreat to my own little world. That gave me the ability to continue. It gave me courage. It gave me the possibility to step out of reality by actually creating another world next to it, where I feel safe and secure. I have always been guided by the circumstances, he says. I just didn't feel up any, to anything. I didn't feel ready. I always had the feeling I'm not complete, not adequately equipped, incessantly equipped, and I resigned myself to that. It was just like that, he says. I didn't see any opportunities to change this. Also, everyone here today is in one way or another concerned with fighting loneliness. I want to say a few words about the concept because, after all, loneliness is not such an unambiguous concept as we often think. And it's important to make clear what we refer to when we talk about combating or mitigating it. Loneliness is a subjective feeling associated with a lack of a relationship or the lack of a certain quality of the relationship's presence. But loneliness can be caused by the disappearance of a close or intimate relationship, for example due to a divorce or the death of a partner, a brother, a sister or a close friend. This kind of loneliness is called emotional loneliness because a person mainly misses the emotional close bond with someone dear. They long for someone for whom they are very important. Loneliness can also be the result of a lack of a wider social network. It can arise due to a lack of friendships, uh, acquaintances, colleagues, neighbors, or people with the same interests. This loneliness can be caused by major life events, 
such as losing a job, retiring, moving to another place, a decreasing health condition or uh, mobility or mental health problems. These events often have a negative effect on the size or the quality of one's social network. In addition, there are more existential forms of loneliness that are not so much related to a shortage in the number or the quality of the social relationships present, but to an inner experience of loneliness. Existential loneliness is a feeling of unbearable emptiness, sadness, and desire that arises from the realization that man is fundamentally separate from others. Existential loneliness can run through a person's life as a common dread. The experience of Mr. S are an example of this. But existential loneliness can also arise when people feel they no longer matter or are superfluous or redundant because they no longer play a clear social role or depend on the care of others. The framing of vulnerable groups in the population can contribute to this. For example, the social debate about the elderly and the high health care costs. Loneliness, therefore, not only has to do with private experiences, but also with the social and cultural context in which people live their lives. Also, loneliness is a part of life all people sometimes experience. The effects of loneliness can be so great that support is needed. This is especially true when loneliness persists for a long time and becomes dominant in one's life. This happens, for example, with young people who feel lonely because they are ashamed of their lack of success and feel excluded from a world where it's important that you succeed and lead a rich social life. Lack of self-confidence and bad experiences prevent them from taking new initiatives. They think they are not worthwhile for others and often withdraw, creating a downward spiral. They then develop their own strategies for dealing with their loneliness, for example, avoiding other people. These strategies often have an adverse effect, that is to say they strengthen rather than reduce their loneliness. And this is the case with Mr. S. Although he has never built up a social network, he has developed a strategy to deal with his social needs. He used to travel around the city by tram. He enjoyed the people coming in and leaving again. If you don't show too clearly that you pay attention to them, you may feel that you belong and in this way satisfy your social needs. He says, because that social instinct you have, that never dies. It's always there. But in recent years, he thinks these contexts are too empty and superficial. He now stays more at home and prefers to listen to conversations on the radio, to keep up uh, with what's happening in the world around him. The radio is by window on the world, he says. 
these strategies offer him a certain degree of safety and continuity. At the same time, they make his loneliness to a persistent problem that is very difficult to break through and that has taken on a structural character. Changing these strategies and patterns is hard and threatening and it makes it hard to improve the situation of lonely people like Mr. S. Moreover, as loneliness lasts, it can get intertwined with problems in other life terrains like health problems, depression, self-neglect, addiction, behavior problems, claiming behavior, aggression, suspicion, problems that make it even more difficult to make contact and offer help. In recent years, many interventions have been developed to address loneliness, but most initiatives to break loneliness are focused on meeting other people. As long as you have a lot of people around you, your loneliness is solved. That's often the idea. Now, opportunities to reach meaningful, meaningful context are indeed important. They offer lonely people the opportunity to meet others, make friendships, and opportunities to learn or practice social skills. But for many lonely people, companionship or expansion of their social network is not a sufficient solution. This is especially the case with people struggling with emotional or existential forms of loneliness. These loneliness cannot be solved by distraction and social activities. It is mainly about the quality of relationships and about meaning and life. It requires no distraction, but rather attention to the problems that people are struggling with. Attention assumes that we enter into a relationship with someone who is lonely, a relationship based on mutual trust. Building such relationships requires empathy, the ability to empathize with the experiences and the feelings of others. Through empathy, you let the other person feel that his emotions are not strange to you, that you understand how he or she reasons. Through empathy, we gain access to the other, and the more we empathize with someone, the more inclined we are to help that person. The American psychologist Daniel Besson calls this the empathy-altruism hypothesis. This empathetic capacity is crucial to support people who are lonely. To be able to help someone who is lonely, you must understand what loneliness means for this specific person. However, that's not an easy task, because loneliness is a charged theme that is difficult to discuss. Many people want to hide their loneliness, sometimes even to themselves. People who are lonely often suffer from shame or guilt and sometimes consci consciously keep their distance. They are reluctant to share their emotions and wishes. They don't always have the need to share, to share their problems or find it difficult to put their needs into words. And this makes it hard to provide adequate help. It may be clear that helping lonely people is not enough to combat increasing figures of loneliness. 
it also demands something from society as a whole. We saw that the social environment in, uh, in today's society is no longer an integrating community that naturally includes lonely people. People who have fewer opportunities to maintain social relationships often remain out of the picture. For example, in the Netherlands, a 70-year-old woman who had been living in isolation for years was in her home for 10 years after her death without anyone in her neighborhood noticing. Victor Stout mentioned her yesterday in his speech. She lived in the... Uh, this one... this apartment at the first floor. Uh, this event led to bewilderment and indignation. People wondered how such a thing could happen in a civilized society as the Netherlands and saw it as a warning, as a wake-up call, calling on everyone to ensure that such a situation can no longer arise. However, the question is how we can prevent lonely uh, people from getting so far out of sight that they are no longer noticed. And from the other side, how can we promote community care and involvement with lonely people? In my opinion, the concept of friendship can be helpful here. Although in friendship, we mainly think of relationships in the private sphere, the classic idea of friendship has always been related to, relations, related to relationships with relative strangers in the public sphere. According to the Greek philosopher Aristotle, friendship forms the basis for a good or perfect society. He sees friendship as a virtue that is most necessary for life, including public life. Man is, according to him, a social being who can only find his perfection within a community. Aristotle distinguishes three types, three types of friendship. Friendship for the benefit, friendship for pleasure, and friendship for the specific person and the friendship itself. Although this last form of friendship is the most perfect, the other forms of friendship are also valuable because they involve an attitude of kind benevolence. This kindness towards fellow citizens can form the necessary basis for a decent social community that includes so lonely people. This does not mean that people in public life have to be personal friends of each other or to know each other in an intimate way. Friendly kindness requires mutual well-being and a willingness to reflect on each other's vulnerability. Typical of a friendship relationship is that people consciously wish each other good. By taking the position of a friend, we can better understand a person's life situation and feel how we should act toward him or her. How important that is, Mr. S. told the last time I spoke to him. He told enthusiastically about the contact he has had for several months. I now have a good relationship with the cashier of the local supermarket, he says. 
We have a good sex contact. We get along very well. It's a wave of mutual sympathy that comes over me. I can still guilt my old age a little with that, he says. The personal way in which this cashier approaches him, her openness, her interest in his life, gives Mr. S the feeling that he matters to her, that he has not forgotten him when he leaves the store. And that's important because being alone is becoming increasingly difficult for him. To myself, I pretend to be strong, he says, but I'm also someone who sometimes has a need for love and attention. I feel that quite often. Where is that hand that strokes my hair, my head? He is also worried about the future. When I get sick, the end is there, he says, because I don't expect anyone else to take care of me. It's now too late for that. That is why it is nice that someone keeps an eye on me on things. It's important that I can tell my story to you from time to time. Your interest in me gives me the feeling I'm worthwhile, and that makes me a little less lonely. Thanks for your attention.